Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us as we begin today. God, we're thankful you brought us here together again this week. Maybe we're new this week. Maybe we've been here our whole lives. Maybe we came with joy and expectation today. Maybe we came out of habit. Maybe we just barely got here. But however we came, God, We ask that you meet us in this place as we know you are faithful to do. You have preceded us in this place. Speak to us each as we have need, for we all have need of a word from you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I've been here almost seven months, and you knew the tithing sermon was coming. It's budget season and we're about to start a capital campaign. You knew the tithing sermon was coming. You know, uh, for some reason, between pastors and congregations, there's always a little awkwardness, always a little fear about the preaching on tithing and giving. Pastors, congregants tend to get a little nervous around each other when we talk about this. But, but I think it's important we talk about it regularly, and, and regularly we will. Uh, not the hard push to get you to write the checks, but to talk about on how we use our life. If we're called to be stewards of all God has given us, how we use our time, how we use our gifts, like we talked about with the kids. Certainly how we use the money that we earn or been given or or have, how we use the stuff, that's gonna kind of be our big general word today. It's a deeply theological word. Uh, Stuff, it's not. It's just the easiest word I could find. The stuff that we have, the money that we earn, the house that we lived in, the cars that we drive, even in the human things, the the families that we call ours, the, the time that we have, the gifts that we have, how we use all of our stuff is really important for our life. It, it has the power to shape, it does shape our soul and shape our heart. If I had the ability, I think we could dig into your use of time and your use of stuff and have a really good picture of your heart, of your soul. How we steward these things says much about us. And so it's important that we talk about these things. You know, it's fairly easy to give of our stuff in our world today. We make it, I guarantee, as easy as we possibly can to encourage you to give. You can give, you know, cold hard cash when we pass the plate around at the end of the service or in our other service at TriPoint. We have uh, buckets where you can give those. You can scan a lovely code on the screen. We're not gonna scan it for you now. That's okay. We're not gonna be that heavy handed today, but you can scan that and, and you'd be able to give online. We all have these lovely slivers of plastic that are like magic. You just slide it and get anything you want. And my kids still sometimes believe, I think, that it is just magic. They don't understand. A bill comes with that every month uh, sometimes. 
we send you a nice form at the end of the year that tells you how much that you've given. And, and to any other nonprofit, we'll do the same. And you get a tax break for giving. Isn't that fascinating? It wasn't so easy in Jesus' day and it was a lot more confusing. And that's our intro into the text. We're gonna be in Luke 21, one through four today. You know, I've looked at this a lot and I'm still not totally confident that I understand exactly what was required of God's people, of the Jewish people during Jesus' day in giving. The Old Testament's kind of confusing on this, but there were several things that seemed the people of God were asked to give of their stuff. Uh, it was different. It, there were tithes, which is a, a Hebrew word that literally just means tenth. There were, were tenths or tithes of whatever they made. If you were a farmer, it was of grain. If you had a vineyard, it was of the vineyard. If whatever it was you did, there were tithes required of that, which is, you know, somewhat complicated to give. There were other offerings for priests and Levites. There were offerings for the poor, offerings at all the different feasts, and then kind of general free will offerings that people were asked to give, kind of on top, I guess, of all of these others that people could give at any time. So it was kind of complicated to know what exactly is required. And then the actual giving of it was pretty complicated. How exactly do you give one-tenth of a field of grain? And how do you do that if you live 250 miles from Jerusalem as God's people through any number of means, good and bad, spread out around the world how, and giving was supposed to be done at the temple? What, what system could be devised to, to regulate this and help with this? All men were called to give a half shekel tax every year to the temple, a half shekel gift. Well, well what's the exchange rate You know, of a, of a Greek drachma, for instance, something I Googled and looked up that would have been a monetary use then. I didn't know that off the top of my head. And a shekel. How do we know what is enough? It was complicated. The sheer act of giving became problematic. As the world grew and it became more complicated, uh, the temple standardized their giving. They really created kind of a miniature economy of their own. They encouraged people to sell the grain wherever you live and, and bring the tithe money into the temple. That was a lot e easier. And to handle exchange rates, they created temple currency. You know, like Chuck E. Cheese, when you go to Chuck E. Cheese and everything costs a quarter, but they still make you exchange your quarters for coins for some reason. That's kind of what they did. It's the Chuck E. Cheese model of the economy. They, they made you exchange your coins from around the globe uh, to, to, to standard temple currency and they had money changers outside of the temple. And it, it's a great system to standardize some things and both help the temple get what it needed, but also the people knew they weren't being cheated, but they also weren't giving unnecessarily. It standardized things. The abuse of that is what Jesus got so mad at, that the money changers were charging exorbitant rates for this exchange and thereby cheating the people, or at least treating the people harshly, I'm the son of a banker. I've got to go somewhat easier on bankers from time to time, but, but also stealing from the tithes of God's people through the exchange rate. What was it was supposed to be? Giving then and now a joyful act of praise. 
And it was a pretty ingenious system for the world of the day to do all they could to make it easy to give with a joyful heart and not be burdened by the obligation or the difficulty of the gift. Now, when you did receive your temple coinage, you, you entered the court of women, which was the outside area of the court that, that any person in good standing with God could enter into that portion of the court. The historian Josephus tells us that on one wall of the court, there were 13 offering receptacles that, that were for different offerings, probably. Some of them for uh, free will offerings. Some of them for offerings that went for the upkeep of the temple. Some went for, for care of the Levites and the priests. Some for, for the, the male uh, offering tax that was made to be given. And they weren't just standard boxes that you, know, you slipped into. They were shaped like a trumpet, Josephus says. Like the bell of a trumpet, the outside of it. And because when you dropped your coin in, it resounded around the court of women in the temple. Luke 21 takes part right at Passover when it would have been packed, when it would have been crowded, and the most people that week were coming to bring their gifts to the temple, and all day long would have been the sound of the offerings being given. Isn't that a cool thought? All day long, the soundtrack of the temple was the sound of gifts rising to God in this symphony from these 13 receptacles placed on the wall of the outside of the temple for all of these different offerings. Worshippers would walk in and, and drop or and toss their offerings into the trumpet bells, which then resounded around this beautiful sound to imagine. They were probably priests, they could tell what was being given just by the sounds. We professional Christians like to measure things. They could tell by the end of the day whether it had been a good day or a little thin day. There were probably those that walked in proudly with much to give and, and had learned over time how to spread those coins around and around and draw it out to get the most sound possible out of their gift. And there were others who noticed. There were probably kids that walked in begging their parents just to be able to drop one of the coins in. My mom and dad would give us coins, a few quarters, a few nickels to give in our Sunday school offering. In the days where we still had Sunday school offerings that we checked, our Bible brought and our scripture read, and we would give this little offering. It was always part of the walking into church was to get a few coins to give. And it was so special for us as first and second graders to do that in Sunday school. Imagine generations of this families traveling to Jerusalem year after year, starting as little kids, advancing up to grandparents and great-grandparents, giving these offerings together as a family. There were some who gave joyfully, some that, that came in with a limp and in old age, barely able to make it, but wanting to make that trip one more time. There were some that came in with sickness, some that came in with joy, probably some that came in with pride. All types of people came to give to hear this sound. The sound was that source of pride for many, 
and in source of embarrassment, perhaps for others. There was also no way to hide the clink, clink of two tiniest lepta being given. The sight, slight sound of their offering, the sound of their poverty. You know, at the end of the day, the beautiful sound of the offering measured quantity, the sum total of given, and, and quantity matters to be sure. But it's only one way to measure a gift. The sound of the coins being poured out could not measure the sacrifice involved in the gift or the, the condition of the soul given the gift, the way the money was earned. As we know, there's much more involved in giving and stewardship than, than amounts. In our text today, Jesus is in the court of women with the disciples around the Feast of Passover, and he's listening, we imagine, to the sound of the offering, and he's, he's watching the people coming in and out, and as is usual with Jesus, he sees and hears and notices and just knows things no one else does or is able to. This whole affair of coming and going, worshiping and giving. Luke and Mark write that Jesus watched these people giving their offering and, and, and it's this week before Passover, as I said, so the temple is full and the court is full of the ring and hum of these offerings given. And, and in the crowd, Jesus spots one woman and, and this text is sparse. It's limited. We, we want more from it than it has to give us. We must read into it some things. And we're told this woman is a widow, though we don't know how Jesus knew she's a widow. We don't know if she is young or where she is old. We don't know anything about her. We know she, she's poor, and in fact, not just poor, she's penniless, literally without penny. For she's just dropped two lepta into one of the offering boxes. And in Jesus' knowledge, he, he tells the disciples it was quite literally all that she had. Her last two lepta in the world. Now, a lepta is not much from looking this up this week. A lepta would have been about one one hundredth of a denarius. A denarius was one day's labor, basically, enough for one day's work. I mean, so we're really talking about her last buck, her, her last folding money that she puts in here. The gift is nothing, and it is everything. It doesn't seem that she draws attention to herself or, or makes a show in any way of giving these last two lepta of hers, but among, uh, uh, particularly among everyone else there, the rich, the poor, and the young, and the old, among all of those, Jesus singles her out. And says, I, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. Now, we don't know if the disciples noticed her. We don't know if they even knew what she gave. Really, what she gave is, is helpful for the story, but it's not really crucial to the overall story. Jesus goes on, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, out of their abundance, out of what they had, but she, out of her poverty, and all she had to live on. And that's it. <laughs> In scene. 
No questions from the disciples, no commentary by Mark or Luke, no further explanation from Jesus, no parable to follow it that helps us unpack exactly what we're supposed to know from this story. Just four powerful verses that, that for me at least, challenge me and, and move me, but also leave me asking, what exactly am I supposed to learn from this story? Now, I strongly believe one of the fundamental acts of being a follower of Jesus is giving generously and sacrificially of what we earn, of what we have, and give generously of our stuff. I mean, giving is an absolutely essential part of praising and following God. And, and here's my basic theology of it that, that starts in Genesis and goes all the way through. If you want to talk more about it, come by the office. I'm happy to talk more about it. But there's a really strong biblical case that everything we have, everything we put sort of a, a personal pronoun on it as ours is a gift from God. Now, do we work for a lot of it? You bet. Do we sacrifice for a lot of it? You, you bet. But at the end of the day, it's all a gift from God. And if we step back a little bit, you know, I think this makes sense to us, our families. We did some work creating them. We certainly do some work um, birthing them. Moms, we do a lot of work keeping them alive and providing for them, don't we? But they are a gift. They're a gift that is given. They're a gift that, that, that can be taken away. It's precious. I mean, the jobs that we have, certainly we earn them. You might have gone to school for them and got training for them. You, you pour yourself into them. But we also know they can be gained and lost. We also know there are other people as smart as us, as hardworking of us, that, that may not have some of the privileges we have, or, or maybe you're not getting the breaks right now, and you know you're as smart and hardworking as others, and, and you don't have that, that job or that career, that income that, that you hope for. It's a gift. The houses that we have, the cars that we drive, any of the stuff that we possess that shows up on our balance sheet that we've got to pay taxes on, whatever it is, it, it is all a gift, even if it has, you know, Matt Holmeyer's name on the mortgage. It's a gift. And, and God gives us these gifts, these things to provide for our needs, yes. To provide for our family, yes. But also, it is a blessing given to us, given to us to meet our needs and to also be a blessing in the world. We live in our houses. We drive our cars, but those can also be used to bless others. We, we, we make money, and, and we're also called to give of that money to bless others. We are set up as a conduit in the world that God rains down blessing upon, not so that it benefits us, but so that it meets our needs and then flows into the world as a continuance of blessing. This is the way God has set it up. And it's a privilege. We get to participate in God blessing the world. God doesn't give us what we need and then bypass us and do it all himself. He gives it to us in abundance sometimes so that we might freely choose to be a blessing into the world. So we, we give to our church and we look for ways to use all that we have, including time and including gifts, including all that we have to serve others and bless others in the name of Jesus. This is a theology of stuff. 
Everything we have can be used to bless others in the world and how we view it, how we use it matters deeply for the world. It matters deeply for the kingdom of God. It matters deeply for our soul. So what exactly then is Jesus teaching us about using all of this stuff in the story? It's important to note what Jesus does not say. And he he does not pass judgment on any of the gifts being given. This is not lifting up this woman um, and saying all of those other gifts are not worthy. That's not here at all. There's no judgment passed on everybody else and how they give or what they gave or anything else. It's just that this woman is is lifted up. It's also not saying because of her gifts, she's in the kingdom of God. Jesus does this a couple other points and says, because of your belief, because of this or that, you're in the kingdom of God. That's not here. He just says her gift was worth more because of the sacrificial nature of it, because it was all that she had. Jesus singles her out because of the sacrificial generosity of her gift and the trust required to give it. Because of the sacrificial generosity of the gift and the trust required to give it. What Jesus is teaching us about giving and stewardship is that giving honors God, that honors God is marked by sacrificial generosity that is based on deep trust that all we have comes from God and we can trust God to provide for us. We can give of what God has given us and and we don't lose in the equation because we are trusting God to continue to provide for us. Ultimately, giving stewardship of our stuff is not about meeting budgets, It's certainly not about recognition. It's not even really about fulfilling the law or or maybe our own sense of guilt and responsibility. It's about we give in order to praise God, to respond to God positively, generously, sacrificially of all that he has given to us and to place our lives, our very sustenance, the needs of our family in the hands of God to provide. It, it, giving places our lives and our future and our bills and our retirement and our kids' future and our job security, uh, places all of this in the hands of God. It says, all I have is from you. And we will give back in such a way that, that it hurts a little, <laughs> that it's sacrificial, that, that puts our existence in, in a little bit of question of God, we only make it if you're with us, but we trust you but we trust you. We will try to do it with joy, trusting in God for our whole life. A pastor friend told me a story that he had heard from another pastor. One of those stories. I said in a preaching conference I helped with this week that uh, preaching without plagiarism makes for boring preaching. Um, We're always borrowing from one another stories. We try to give credit where we can. He told a story this pastor did about taking his kids to a ball game. It's two kids. He showed up at the ball game and he bought them at the ball games now. They have, you know, not little candy, but big candy. And he bought them each a bag of Skittles. 
Skittles are great for kids at ball games. You can kind of set up, eat one at every first down, eat one at every basket. You can draw them out for a while. They're great for counters or the kids that don't like ball games but are drugged there by their dads. And so the kids were busy dividing them up in red and orange and green, all the different colors and, and thinking about the Skittles and talking about the Skittles and started chomping down on them. And the dad asked his son if he could have a Skittle. And if you've ever asked a kid for a piece of candy, you know the look that this son gave his dad. Immediate greed and calculation. (laughs) Can I spare one Skittle for this man? Now he gave it to me, but I also want it. He said the dad being a preacher was struck at his son calculating this Skittle. And he said, if he knew how much resources and money I had at his disposal. You know, I could have made it rain Skittles on this kid. We could have filled our entire house with Skittles. He could have had Skittles unending for the rest of his life. You know, being a pastor, he wasn't rich, but he could afford a lot of Skittles if we really want to buy Skittles. And here this kid was wondering whether this dad who had the power to rain Skittles on him if he was worth giving back even one. Isn't that how it so often is with us? God asks us to give, to return to him just a bit of what he's blessed us with and and given to us. And and we immediately turn that into a conversation about percentages or, or amounts. We try to whittle it down And we can't help but calculate, myself included, how do we give, but also we we need enough for us. How do we know what is enough? Do we have enough? Do we make enough to give and still pay the bills this month? Do we have enough to give and still, you know, take the kids on vacation like we would like to do? Do we we have enough and still putting away for retirement that we know is coming? Do Can I give? Do I have enough and, and still live on what I've saved and what I have for these next 10, 20, 30 years, how many I have? It's inevitable that we weigh in our giving these questions of enough and these questions of what we have and, and separating out what has God led me and given me for our needs, for my family and, and my family's future, but also what has God given me to use generously and give sacrificially? Church, my prayer for us and my hope for us is that all of us together relearn and relearn again, as we all have need, the joy and freedom of giving generously and sacrificially to God. The joy, and it is a joy, of returning to God and offering of what he has blessed us with. The freedom that comes with giving generously and knowing we aren't owned by our stuff, but our trust is in God to provide all things and all things that we claim to have, we hold loosely as something borrowed in this world. You know, it would be nice if we knew what happened to the widow. You know, she just walks out of the temple, walks out of the story, never to appear again. I mean, did she come a, become a regular beggar at the temple? Did she starve? Did God rain down blessing on her for her offering in ways that startled and surprised her? We don't know, which probably ultimately is good. 
Giving generously, sacrificially isn't about knowing whether we will be blessed in return or not. We give as an act of praise and thanksgiving for how God has given to us, provided for us. We return to God what he has given to us, and it is recognizing that God is at work in the world and in our life. It's an act of trust that God will continue to act in our life like he has worked up to this point, that God will continue to provide for his children, and that our future is not secured by our income or by our stuff, but by nothing less and nothing more than the very power of God at work in the world and in our lives. Let me pray for us. God, we praise you for stuff, the stuff that feeds us, the stuff that clothes us, the stuff that gives meaning in many ways to our lives, the the stuff of family, the stuff of friendship, of roofs over our head and breakfast in our bellies and art supplies of kids who are good at painting, baseball fields for kids who love baseball so much stuff you give to us that is for our joy and our good. Help us to receive it well. But help us not to be owned by it, God. Help us to use all that we have and all that we're given to view it as able to be used by you. Help us to know what you are calling us to give back to you sacrificially and generously for your use in the world. Help us to lay all of our lives down at the altar. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.